When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back to the PHLY Sixers post-game show. Derek Bodner joined by Kyle Niebeck. You know it's Kyle because they won a game. Uh, whenever yeah, Rich is baby. here, they did not win. But it was a, I don't want to call it exciting because the last three minutes of game time were excruciating uh, and long, but a very good, uh, very much needed 127 to 123, 123 win over the Oklahoma City Thunder, which snaps the Sixers' two-game losing streak. It also snaps the Thunder's Six-game winning streak. The Thunder came in with uh, having won six in a row, eight out of nine. They had tied for the best record in the Western Conference. They had the number one net rating in the league. And that was a, no matter what you saw in the last three minutes of that game, that was a good quality win. <laughs> that I mean, it took the fun out of it to some degree. It was like, all right, that's a good win. They're trending towards a double-digit victory over a really good, young, fun, exciting team. And then it was like getting stabbed in the eyeball with a, <laughs> yes. a rusty fork for the last three minutes. I mean, the last five minutes of the game took what, like 25 minutes yeah. of real time. But I'll say this. I think that's an excellent win. No matter how you slice it, no matter how painful the last five minutes was. Great to see Joel Embiid back on the floor. Great to see Tyrese Maxey able to anchor an even weaker unit than he normally has at the start of a fourth quarter. There were some changes to the lineups tonight. A lot of big-time positives in that game, even though it was looking for a second there. Like, you and I were going to be watching overtime. Yeah. and the, We were just talking I mean, about what a disgrace happy. that would have been. Yes. <laughs> we, we spent a good chunk of that third quarter talking about how happy we were that it was a 5 o'clock start. Uh, they threatened to eat into a little bit of that extra time. But, you know, they had that end of the third where I think they ended on an 11-2 run, gave them a good cushion. Maxi then came in and was on fire to lead the fourth quarter. You thought that those two uh, periods were going to be enough to win comfortably for a long time. It did look like they were going to win comfortably. It got very close at the end, but Joel Embiid can make a free throw, which is always appreciated, especially in this game. Embiid, Embiid ends up with 35 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, comes just shy of that triple-double. I feel like that's happened at least twice now this year where he ended up with 9 assists after getting the triple-double or a double-double in the other two categories. Four blocks as well for Embiid, 19 of 21 from the free throw line. If you looked at this OKC Thunder team and said Embiid should live at the free throw line, guess what? He did live at the free it throw happened. line. That <laughs> even happened before he started going there after being intentionally fouled there late. Tyrese Maxey, like you mentioned, 28 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 of 9 from 3-point range, 8 of 17 overall from the field, also made 9 free throw attempts. The free throw attempts were a, a big one in this one. The Sixers had 45 attempts as a team to just 26 for the Thunder. So 
Jay Bart in the comments pointed out that B-Ball Paul only played 11 minutes tonight and is concerned that they're going to burn out Joel. I will say the final few minutes were not strenuous at all. It was basically a walking and free throw shooting competition. So you could honestly slice a little bit of that off if you're asking me and say, yeah, we don't really have to consider that in terms of the accumulation of stress for him. Mm -hmm. And he did have a few days off. So this was well-rested Joel coming into this game. But it turns out at the end of a game, having one guy who can really dribble is a bit of a problem. Some of that is just going to be foundational where if you have Joel as one of your best players, you're sacrificing having a potential star level or max contract level ball handler in that place, but does maybe speak to maybe what they need to get between now and the deadline if they want to be a serious contender this season. But I don't want to get too far, too deep into the final five minutes, Derek, I think. what What's the headline for you? Is it Joel or Tyrese for this one? Because they both, I thought, were very good in, in different yeah. ways. I would say if you're looking for a single headline, which I know you love to do, it would probably be Joe for me. I think he probably had the more impactful game, uh, certainly made his presence felt throughout. And and again, the passing, there were moments throughout that first half where specifically I thought the passing stood out. And that has been, uh, you know, we just talked about it here on our last show on Friday. That is always great to see. Yeah. So I, I just, this was a game where it felt early that it was going to be like a 45 point Joel game. Now I got to 35 at the end of the day, but Joel took Chet down to the weight room quite a bit early on to the point that the Thunder actually started with a different lineup to open the second half. They brought in Jalen Williams, and I know Derek was complaining in the middle of the game about the two Jalen Williams thing on Oklahoma City. Now, mercifully, it's a basketball crime. Yeah. Mercifully, only one of the Jalen Williams played tonight. So there was no confusion. We will just talk about. Jay will as they call him in OKC but so they brought in Jay will they're using him as the primary guy on Joel and then Chet would shade over they sent help from other places and you know Joel's turnover numbers didn't end up being great at the end Four, of that game but I thought that was I think it was mostly I think he had two charges two yeah. offensive fouls so I don't really think it was indicative of the reads he's making he had at in least the middle one of the pass well <laughs> I don't know if that ended up actually being a turnover directly. Yeah, Yeah, there was Derek and I, I don't think I've laughed as hard all year as when Joel tried to throw the behind the head pass to a cutting Batum where clearly feeling himself a little bit, clearly hunting for a triple double and wanting to get some style points there. I say this all the time. I don't want Joel to be Jokic. Do the things that you're great at. Certainly want him to share the ball, but you can save the, uh, the behind the head passes for games that are not still within some sort of reach. Yeah. And look at that point, I think it was like a 10 point game. He probably felt like there was a bigger cushion than there actually was. I do yeah. think he wants to prove that he can play a style similar to Jokic, eh, you know, cut down on the behind the back stuff because that one was not close. It was a good, nice little lighthearted humorous moment, which became a little more serious when the thunder cut that lead. Uh, but thankfully he got back to his sweet spot, which is at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, look, when he gets matchups where he's against a guy like Chet Holmgren or even Jalen Williams, who's considerably shorter than Joel is, he's got to punish them, and he did. And I thought this was is a really balanced effort from him, too. Like, a lot of those fouls, or at least some of those fouls, are picked up on second-chance plays. He's mm-hmm. offensive rebounding, sealing smaller players off. It's not... Size advantage for him does not just show up as like a, he posts this guy up and throws him through the stanchion. It's 
running the floor in early offense and sealing Chet Holmgren in trans semi transition or getting behind Jalen Williams, forcing him to wrap you up, take a foul, picking up offensive rebounds, scoring second chance points, or just kicking it out to a guy for an open three. And this is what I think a lot of people would love to see from Joel all the time. It's not realistic. There are teams that have either taller or stronger, bigger guys to throw at him. So he can't just bully everybody around on the low block or on the offensive glass. But this is like a really cathartic type of performance from Joel where he did exactly what you'd expect him to do. Pretty effortless dominance for most of four quarters. And aside from that fourth quarter end of fourth quarter shenanigans, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty fun. And look, I think there's a lot of good things from Joe's performance to take away. Um, you know, early on, he did a real good job of sealing and getting deep position early. I think he did a good job passing that one, notwithstanding that there's a little debate in the chat over, um, you know, but there's the, the kickouts to Maxi in the corner. I, he found Tobias as a cutter at one point. Like I th- that's the passes I want to see him make. And I think he did a good job of that. And then you saw a lot of the two man game with him beating Maxi. This is one where that two man game sort of got back on track. You saw Maxi finding him a lot with that pocket pass. You saw some DHOs and getting Maxi open. It was just a real good two way synergistic performance between the two. Um, so it was, I mean, outside of the last three minutes. And again, I think a lot of people might still look at OKC and maybe not wonder, wonder if they're actually legit. No, they're, a, they're a, I think, a top six defense and a top five offense. And Derek and I were just so jealous of them during the game. Like, man, look they're at these future. building blocks they have. Shea is so good. Chet is already incredible and such an yeah. easy player to build around. Like That two-man core of Chet and Shea is just so perfect. And then they have so many good role players and they have so many picks coming through and they're going to be able to make a consolidation trade that's probably going to blow everyone's mind. They're going to have one time in the future where they get lucky and get a top five. Well, not lucky because they, they made their luck, but they're going to get a top five pick out of all these trades they make and they're just going to be set up so perfectly. And it's not going to be able to be kept around forever because a, a, a CBA is pretty punitive in that regard. And but also they have to keep guys in Oklahoma City, which that's true. You know, historically not exactly... Uh, Easy to do. There is just so many different ways that franchise can go. And you do, as somebody, as people who followed a team that went down a similar path, there's all kinds of what-ifs you can play with that. But the Sixers did get Embiid out of that whole rebuild. So it didn't all go, I mean, pretty much all of it outside of that went pretty poorly. But they do got Embiid, and right now that makes them very, very relevant. And that's a pretty good way to describe this game as well. Yeah, I I just thought... it. It felt good for them to get that win with Joel coming back. You have a tough week. I think people were back to like, oh, my God, it's the same old team. And there were echoes of that certainly at the end of this game. But get back on the winning foot and against a real team. Like as much as this is a young and up and coming team, they are one of the better teams in the league. They're deep. They can spread it out. They can play different ways. I mean, I, like I came away from that game even more impressed with Chet Holmgren than I already was. The fact that, you know, look, he's not able to stand up Joel, but the Sixers tried to throw different matchups at him, and then he's just like, okay, I'm going to bomb away from three and get rolling, and then he can be a weak side rim protector if you use him as a a four next to someone like Jalen Williams. I just like such an interesting player and guy that I think has a – tremendous future in front of him obviously so between him and Shea just picking guys apart from mid-range great team with some real stud players at their core and the Sixers outside of the end of game shenanigans 
it was a pretty comfortable win. Like they were feeling themselves late in that game and they screwed around a little bit. And maybe there is some, hey, they need more guys that can dribble. As Derek tries to like chat in the chat while we're in the middle of doing a fucking podcast, it drives me crazy every single time he does it. Please stop typing. Please stop typing. Anyway. I'm now just going to type. I'm going to open up like a notepad and just type just to it's piss you just, off. I'm not even going to Your make- job is to talk to those people. I'm interacting they, with the people in the chat. You're doing that by hosting a show. How about that? <laughs> All right. So let's, let's pivot a little bit here then, <laughs> frankly, because I don't know what you're talking about beforehand. What you yeah, you're from- sending like three <laughs> sentences at a time to people in YouTube chat. What the fuck is wrong with you? What'd oh my see, God. What did you see from Tyrese Maxey tonight? So I think one meaningful and important thing that happened in that game, Nick decided to play Tobias more with Joel yeah. rather than saving those minutes for with Tyrese. Which right? is something that we talked about a lot earlier yes. when we were looking at how bad the Embiid without Maxey lineups were. Get another score, another, even if Tobias isn't a great ball handler, he usually has an advantage he can at least have a chance to advance yes. the ball with. Uh, I agree that's something we've been calling for for a while, and I think it did help. Yeah, and I wish that there was an alternative there, mostly by having another person who could dribble and create right. that's not Tobias, because I would like to give Tyrese help as well, right? Like the MVP of the league and the team, frankly, shouldn't need a ton of help to get right. by, but we've seen these backup units that he's played with. So, a change was warranted. And it's, it's also not optimal because, okay, if Tobias is your main ball handler, he's a pretty bad passer. You would like yes. someone to have both of those skills, yes. but this is a, a pretty limited team in that regard. Yeah, so that change I thought was really important. It was a big part of them pulling away a little bit late in the third quarter, going on a run, I should say, late in the third quarter. And then Tyrese came out to open the fourth quarter, and it wasn't like his anywhere close to his best scoring run or scoring stretch of the year. But I thought it just showed how far ahead of schedule he is right now, right? Like the Thunder were trying to trap him at half court at different times. And he's making the correct reads, getting the ball to whether it was Pat Bev or somebody else that's on the floor, and then continuing to move and looking to get to his spot so he could still score against a guy like Lou Dort. So even when he's getting one-on-one coverage, He's against a really good defender. Robert Covington had some good screens during that stretch to free him up. Had some mm-hmm. Tyrese hit some tough shots from mid-range. And the Sixers generally got some high-quality looks there. I don't know that I would call a Paul Reed corner three that he did make a high-quality look, but it's at least an open three on a possession where that's what you want. If a guy's getting double-teamed, the ball's being forced out of his hands, you at least have to get a, a good look at the basket out of it. I thought they did that consistently. So on top of Tyrese's shot making and the now like clockwork progression into the game that he's making every night where he does nothing in the first quarter and then is very good the rest of the night. Same thing, business as usual. And so I I love Tyrese's outing tonight outside of that first quarter that I just roll my eyes at at this point. It's, it's, it's like, why, why can't he give us some more to praise? Like, I'll get offer him more praise. Like it's... The rest of the game is so great, but why can't he just score in the first quarter? Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild because at the end of the night, he almost, not always because he had the Minnesota game, but he usually ends up with a decent amount of attempts with a decent amount of points. We did just give him an A in our, our, our grading podcast on Friday, so we're not, like, but it might be an A plus if he like showed up. In, and I don't think it's, like, this is where I disagree with a lot of fans because there's been a lot of debate over, well, he's not aggressive enough. 
it I, I don't think he's like scared of any kind of moment. I think he just hasn't completely learned when to pick his spots, especially when Joe's on the floor. But he comes out in third quarter and it looks a lot better, the pairing between those two. It's really, really, really weird. And to your point, you know, you brought up um, Paul Reed making that corner three. You got to give it the credit that it's due because with that three, he ties his uh, season um, career high in three-pointers made in a season. I was going to say, what are we? He's up to two. Ties his, his career high. I honestly did not realize that, that he's only ever made yeah. two threes in a full season. I think he's got before. like five or so made threes. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess it's not that crazy. I've watched him shoot in NBA games, so that uh, that about does it. Yep. What do you think, Derek? Should we take a quick little break here to talk about a friends of beverage ours? Beverage break, maybe? I wish I had it with me. You know, a nice tall glass of chocolate milk on a Saturday night. That's probably not what I actually would want right now but the rest of the time i would love to tell you about our new sponsor pennsylvania dairy farmers and team chocolate milk because professional and college athletes have known about the power of chocolate milk as a refuel and recovery beverage for a long time and chocolate milk provides high quality protein for muscle repair electrolytes for hydration calcium for strong bones i know we had someone concerned about joel's workload tonight that we brought up earlier in the chat maybe get joel some chocolate milk on the flight home from okc and all will be right again. And studies consistently show chocolate milk's an ideal sports recovery beverage. So whether you're recovering after a workout at the gym, a run around Boathouse Row, or a bike ride on the Schuylkill Trail, chocolate milk's an ideal post-workout beverage. And taking care of your body doesn't end when the clock hits zero on your workout routine. So give your body what it needs to properly recover. And what could be better than a scientifically proven recovery beverage made right here in Pennsylvania that also tastes great? Learn more about how chocolate milk can help you refuel and recover after your next workout by visiting teamchocolatemilk.com. And while I have your attention, I know that our Black Friday sale technically ended, but now we have a Cyber Weekend sale for everyone to get all their favorite PHLY Locker merch that maybe you've been holding out on. Maybe you've said, that's a little too pricey for me. I disagree. I think it's high quality stuff. But now you don't have to worry about that at all because it's 25% off all weekend. You spend $75, get a $15 gift card. Some of the and Eagles, look at this. We some, got some brand some new merch. merch. that we've been putting out, I really like. I got to get a Sickos t-shirt. We can be certified Sickos. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple in there that I definitely have to pick up. Yeah. And that one feels more like one that we can wear. Like we have a new, I believe it's a Tyrese Maxey yep. shirt in the Sixers line, but now, I, I'm not personally going to wear a Tyrese Maxi yeah. shirt. I hope all of you in the chat that are here with us will, because we can't. Derek and I are going to stick to these wonderful hoodies that yeah, you see Kyle, on almost every show. Kyle and I are probably a little bit too big of journalists at this point, or at least we <laughs> take that a little more seriously. Um, where It would be a little weird wearing a Sixers jersey or a Sixers shirt, but we do have a couple of new options in there for you to choose from. Um, Khalif yeah. also asked in the chat, how long before players go back to the locker room to get chocolate milk IVs? It's a great question, Khalif. I'll have to get in touch with the Sixers head of strength and conditioning and see if we can uh, work out some kind of arrangement there, but it's got to be coming soon. Yeah, I agree. I'm not no, actually, I, can, I can see you type. It's I'm like, not actually typing. You, you well, can see it's the in, other thing it's is I see not, producer Bree typing on the screen as well. So. Um, Everyone's typing but me. I'm <laughs> I'm the only professional here, damn it. <laughs> it's a Saturday night. Calm down, buddy. Uh, there's somebody in the chat bringing up that Toby was one for five from three-point range. Uh, I apologize for not mentioning you by name. It is scrolled up a little bit. And look, he didn't make his shots. I'm just happy he took five. We, we, talked, yeah. about, we talked about this the other day. Like He took 
13 total shots, five of them from three-point range. I think that's almost the exact right shot that he should have. They didn't go in today. I think they were pretty much good shots, but I'm I'm okay with that Tobias performance. Jonathan asked what would happen if Outside we wore Sixers work. jerseys to press conferences. Well, number one, I'd have to kick my own ass for being such a loser yeah. to do that. Like, And I don't mean like... I don't have any problem with people wearing jerseys generally, but if you wore a jersey to a press conference as a member of the media, I would just, my eyes would roll into the back of my head. It doesn't matter whose jersey it is. It's it's not becoming, we'll say that. Yeah. No, you would not catch me wearing that. But I, I do still have plenty of takes on jerseys and their quality and how mundane the Sixers offering has been recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Including the uh, uh, the city edition. Not not great. Yeah, I, not I mean, great. look, the problem with their city editions has been they've been, I'd say like mediocre yeah. more than they haven't made anything other than the boathouse ones, yeah. which you know, throw them in a dumpster and light the dumpster on fire and then push that flaming dumpster into a vat of something that makes it more on fire. I don't know. What a hell of a comparison. All right, let's move <laughs> on to some of these Sixers role players. Starting off with the two in the starting lineup, Belton and Batum. I thought it was pretty strong games from both of them. It probably helps that both of them made their threes. Both of them ended up with a combined eight assists and one turnover. All of that helps, but I just thought a really connected game from both of them, uh, both of your role players in the starting lineup. I especially like the Batum performance. Yep. I do feel like this was a, a get-right game for, I would say, the whole team in some regards after a tough couple of games earlier in the week. I think especially so for, I was about to say Nick, especially so for Nico, who, you know, jumped back right into the starting lineup after being away for personal reasons and struggled a bit during the the last few games and, and honestly didn't look like himself, right? Like you and I talk about him all the time, Derek, as a, a connector, an yep. intelligent guy, someone who even when he doesn't have the ball is doing things that, that help. He's relocating. He's making quick touch passes that honestly, D'Anthony does that quite a bit too mm -hmm. but tonight it all comes together for him and frankly i highlighted this in the recap i wrote at allphly.com one of the most important things he does is that guy can throw an entry pass and i just yeah. love joel setting up shop on the block and he's calling for it and he actually gets the goddamn ball because the guy is one willing to throw the pass and then two is able to throw the pass from weird angles, whether it's a bounce pass, a lobbed entry, whatever he's got to do to get it to him. And that can be the difference between Joel getting a, a quick, easy look, Joel getting some free throws because he's got a guy sealed off from the rim and then they have to reach in. And then Joel having to actually beat a guy again because the pass doesn't get there. So I, after watching Joel for however many years he's been here, now what, seven seasons he's been playing for the team? I do not undersell the value of a good entry passer anymore. And I think he has helped quite a bit in that regard. Yeah, they definitely had one possession. I think it was in the second quarter where they must have spent 15 seconds swinging the ball side to side, trying to get the ball into Joel, and they just couldn't do it. Uh, they just couldn't do it. So I agree with you. Having one guy that you actually trust in that regard is great. Um, and, you know, D'Anthony, uh, pretty strong defensive performance from him. They don't really have anyone who can – match up with someone like Shea one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, D'Anthony's probably about as good as you get. And whenever they ran a screen and got D'Anthony off of him, then you really started to see some limitations of the Sixers' perimeter defense. There was just nobody, whether it was, you know, Batum or Harris or Covington, certainly not Morris. There was just, or, or even Beverly, nobody else who was even remotely quick enough or had the size or combination of size and quickness to have a chance. Uh, so while I don't necessarily think 
Um, Melton was perfect in his one-on-one defense. You just saw that drop uh, when they went to someone on the bench. And also just getting in on the glass. Like, there were a lot of sessions between him and Beverly specifically. Beverly was also real good on the glass. Just going in there, uh, fighting, uh, getting offensive rebounds, new possessions, uh, just a real real solid all-around job. Yeah, and look, I know it seems crazy because Shea shot 47.6%, 10 of 21 tonight, that they actually held him below his standard for the year, which it's crazy that Shea is shooting almost 54% on majority mid-range shots. But end of the day, they actually made him work quite hard for what he got. I mean, even when he's cooking in the first half, it was a lot of just Shea being a great player rather than poor defense. And there were some poor defensive moments in that game for sure. Guys blowing rotations or I thought they really struggled with Giddy early, weirdly enough. And we don't have to go too deep into Josh Giddy talk, obviously, but Tyrese, the size disadvantage he was at, Giddy was able to blow through him a few different times early. And it wasn't always because Giddy was looking to score. He would get an an advantageous position and then he draws the help and then a guy's getting an open three and you put him in swing, swing type positions. And so I thought that was a, a problem that they didn't really cope with early in the game that eventually they figured out. They certainly moved the matchups around a little bit. And yeah, I mean, it was for half of that game, it was just nobody defending anyone on yeah. either team. I thought the third quarter for the Sixers was like the only decent defensive stretch yep. either team had the whole night. And sometimes those games happen. Yeah. Uh, Shea is just, he's so much fun to watch. And like, he'll, he's the type who'll, you know, get that first blow by, kick it out, get the ball back, and he'll immediately tack again. Like, he gives you no time to rest, to reset, to recover. Uh, he is just real, real fun to watch. I, I can't wait to watch those two develop um, it's, it's gonna be a lot of fun I, I saw some chatter in the comments Derek I want to get your take on this chatter away buddy uh and I saw this on Twitter some other places tonight for sure how what kind of deal would you have to be presented with to give up Batum this season because if we're they have a bunch of tradable contracts now right how high on the priority list is keeping him? It's a very broad question that's difficult yeah, to answer. It's, but it, it would be tough to answer without any kind of details. But like, are you saying like you wouldn't trade Batum if it meant you could upgrade? I don't want to say upgrade the Melton spot because you keep Melton, but get a, a, a starter better than Melton, Melton the bench. Uh, Actually, let's just use an example. Would you move Batum if you were getting like a Caruso level player? Probably, yeah. I don't like saying that, but I really like Caruso. Yeah, it's, and it doesn't. I'm not saying Caruso try, specifically, like that type of like very good role player. Right, and you try to find a way to work the deal without that. And like someone like Chicago, I can't imagine they would really be, you know, like I can't imagine Batum would be a deal breaker for them when they're probably trying to rebuild if they yeah. make a trade like that. But to your point, like if it came but Chicago down to never it, wants to rebuild. They're no, always in this perpetual. We want to at least be competitive. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's gotten the fancy trouble before. Um, but no, to your point, if it was that kind of deal where Batum actually like held it up. Yeah. I'd, for Caruso. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would think long and hard about that type of deal. You, I would I, move him if it was what it took to get, you know, the other guys were talking about the, the OGs of the world and it's going to take a lot to get Masai to even get on a phone yeah, with you in the first the more place. I think about that. I just can't imagine Masai trading 
for I agree. I I continue to think it's going to be Siakam if they move somebody. Like that tends to be my belief with uh with that whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um by the way, so Brian just brought this up. As much as people were like in the middle of the game pissed off that Isaiah Joe is not on the Sixers, he sure stunk it up shooting the ball in the second half. Got a lot of shots up, not a lot of makes. Yeah. So Look, Doc Rivers' vindication, as Brian yeah, says. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm still an Isaiah Joe fan. I, he came into the game shooting, what, like 52%? Yeah, listen, the guy three? shot the lights out this yeah. year. I'm, I'm not being serious. And, man, here. with all the, the pump fake hesitation hesitation, record scratch kind of players we've had over the years, just somebody who would shoot 12 times in that, that amount of time, I would adore that. I would adore that. Also saw somebody uh, above asking about Daniel House. He was out today. Uh, he was unavailable because of... What was his? Hold on, I had it right in front of me a minute ago. I lost it. He was out because of a left quad contusion, so he was not available. That's why he did not play to, in today's game. I believe Kate was talking about this on the broadcast. I think it was something that might have happened in a spirited practice that they had in Oklahoma oh. City on Black Friday. So the, a Black Friday practice that will live in infamy for taking Daniel House Jr. away from us. But yeah, I, I mean, I certainly would like him to play over Marcus Morris. I think if we're looking for any negatives from this game, the big one that stands out are the the Morris minutes, right? He ends up being a minus 10 in that game. And honestly, I tweeted something in the first half of this game about they got outscored 13 to 3 to end the first quarter. And it was basically... <laughs> The second Marcus Morris stepped on the yeah. floor, everything went to hell. There are missed rotations. There are just like, he had a terrible, well, I guess it wasn't a, it's kind of a soft foul, but they turned the ball over on an off ball foul that he committed on offense. Just an absolute disaster of a night for him. I know they were a little bit short on playable guys tonight, but I just, it, it's crazy that he was essentially like the seventh man in this game. That is a, a terrifying thought. No, I brought this up to you during the game because we talk a lot about Morris's defense. And look, numbers I'm going to throw out small sample size, but I think they're representative of what we're seeing. And I'll, uh, I'm going to say this and I'm going to give the audience a second to think about it. What do you think, Marcus, the, the person that Marcus Morris is defending is shooting in the half court? Give you a couple seconds, come up with some reasonable. I'm just kind gonna of say here, I'm not gonna spoil it quite yet. I guessed 50%. Way off. And I was Way too low. <laughs> 63.2%, the opponent that Marcus Morris is defending is shooting so far this year for an effective field goal percentage of 78.9%. That's actually been updated since I told you. It was, I think, 62% and 75% before coming into the game. It is now up to, like I said, 63.2%, 78.9%. What's bad about that, those are all half-court shots, half-court possessions. So it is uh, not I was going to say, if guys are shooting 68% on you... half-court shots against Marcus Morris, there would really be a problem. That's like conspiracy corner territory i mean it's 63 percent and 100 on all of those are half court shots oh no half court possessions yeah i got what you're saying now. i got what you're saying see I now got, you picked it, it took up a minute. You figured, Look, it's you late on a saturday night and two minute warning pointed out it isn't all his fault i agree it's no but the like, sixers playing poorly while joel and tyrese are both on the floor you can't point at marcus morris and be like that's it's that fucking guy over there. No. It's it's all his fault. Like I understand, it's not all him. But his but def- when bad things happen, every time he steps on the floor, it's like, well, 
His defense has been bad every game he's played. Yes. There has not been a good... That's why when he, he made a bunch of threes there in the third quarter the other night, you said, yeah, that's great, but that doesn't happen every day. What does happen every day is his defense is unplayable. He was unplayable against tonight. I don't know why he keeps getting minutes. Yeah. This is one thing we talked about when we were grading Nick Nurse in the previous show. It's just he's past his expiration date as a useful basketball player, and I don't know why. Like, there's not... This team has enough depth, I feel like, where they shouldn't be in this spot. Yeah. And look, there was... You and I both brought this up prior to the season, Derek, that fans were probably a little too overboard with the Knicks here. They're going to play young players now because Doc Rivers never did. And then Nick has come out and played a bunch of older veterans because guys who want to win games in the immediate term and... Nick Nurse does, the Sixers as an organization do for sure, they're generally going to play older players. And that doesn't always mean it's the correct decision. Yeah. Derek and I are both in agreement. I'm pretty sure that Marcus Morris should be sitting on the end of the bench, but this is kind of what it is. And when Jaden Springer, who both of us are advocates for to get more minutes, but when he comes in and he picks up cheap fouls or he has record scratch moments on offense or dribbles himself into trouble, a coach will look at that and probably ding them harsher than they will other guys with longer track records and more experience because they can point to someone like Marcus Morris and say, that guy has a real resume. He has proven something in this league. And whether that's right or wrong, that's still what ends up happening in the league vast yeah. majority of the time. And we have we have Kevin in the chat basically arguing that Morris probably pushing for Morris to get minutes for trade value. Marcus Morris has no trade value. There's nothing He's he just can do a contract. over the next three months to gain trade value. He is just matching salary. I don't believe that's what's going on. I think it's much more likely that it's what Kyle's saying. We're coaches trying to win games, trust veterans probably more than they should. And it annoys me in part because I feel like coaches, especially Nick Nurse, value defense. And there's no way you can look at Marcus Morris and be like he is defending well. Yeah. And I also don't think his decision making, especially on defense, is something you can rely on. So if you're not getting gaining the decision making from experience, then you're just getting someone who's old. And why? I don't. And I think the answer is in part because he likes to play him with the Embiid minutes. So maybe he has a player who can at least has a chance of getting hot from the perimeter and making life easier. But more often than not, he's going to hurt you. And I'll say this though, in defense of both Nick and Marcus, he had a good offensive game Wednesday. Yeah, it, And I, I think if you go try to step into Nick's head and try to look at the rest of the locker room, a guy has a good offensive game and you can view defensive issues as they're team-based concerns, right? Like there's a reason it's harder to evaluate defense for the general public and even NBA teams a lot of the time than it is, well, that guy contributed something on offense. And I think Nick, after seeing this guy come out in the second half against Minnesota, have a good performance, made Rudy Gobert come out to the three-point line, did some closeout attacking that I thought looked pretty good. I think giving him a vote of confidence is something that, not just plays well with Marcus, but it's the sort of thing that other guys on the team notice like, oh, he played well. He's not just getting his ass stuck on the bench at the end of the bench the next game. Yep. So if it continues for weeks and we see a lot of Marcus Morris as Kelly Oubre returns and they get all their guys back, then I think it's that's when it's deserving of real criticism. In this spot, I'm mostly okay with just saying he had a hot hand last game. Let's see if he can, you know, 
build on that and at least give us different options moving forward. No, I largely like after what he did the other night playing him again, I get my concern is that I, I, I'm not convinced this is a short term thing. And if, if it ends up being that then credit to Nick uh, nurse for, for doing so. But also like sometimes if it just feels like he has a bad stint in the first half and I would just like to see him pivot away from, you know, plan A and go to something else Yeah. when it doesn't look like Morris has it. But, you know, like you said, when Ubre gets back, certainly after they make whatever trade they're going to make, hopefully this isn't still something we're talking about, but yeah. you never know. All right. We want to tell you about one more sponsor here before we finish up. Uh, Wheelhouse is our go-to sports card and gift apparel shop in the Delaware Valley. Their motto is cards and community because love of sports unites us all. They carry all of your favorite card brands like Topps Chrome Baseball and Mosaic Football, as well as T-shirts, hats, and hoodies from brands like Michelin Ness, 47 Brand Junk Food Starter, and Shab Vintage Sports. Looking to grade your sports card collection? Maybe you've got a, a set of vintage Barkus Morris cards. Who knows? Wheelhouse offers PSA grading submissions. They also host tons of different family-friendly events and birthday parties every month. Stop into either of their stores in Wayne or Westchester, open seven days a week at 11 a.m. Use code PHLY and get $10 off any purchase of $25 or more in store. Also, be sure to give them a follow on Instagram at Wheelhouse Cards. So we do have a super chat from our friend Bernard, who's here fairly often. Thank you for that, Bernard. And he's I think he's referring to some chatter from commenters and us. Says Maxi is passive. No, Maxi was tired. First time this month, the Sixers had two days rest between games. He played 40 minutes again. And I think it's an interesting point specifically because Maxi had five fouls and was in foul trouble for yeah vast majority of this game. He had four at halftime, right? And he still managed to play almost 41 yeah. minutes tonight, which is wild. Now, some of that was, I think, Nick maybe he kind of seemed like he hadn't settled on the plan that he went to in the second half in the first half because Tyrese finished the first quarter with Joel, but then came out earlier, missed and played his sort of his normal rotation in the third quarter leading into the fourth. And maybe you see that rotation again in the future where I Nick was just searching for something at the end of that quarter with the, as we said, the Marcus Morris yeah evil infamous minutes there, but it is not great that Tyrese played 41 minutes yeah. in this game. No, I and I, I think if I'm reading Bernard's question right or statement right, he's not saying that Maxi was passive. He's saying that he was tired. Yeah. And I agree with that. I certainly agreed with that uh, in the um, game against the Wolves. Uh, and I think there were stretches here tonight. I, I, I would love for him to be playing 35, 36 minutes per night, not 40. Uh, I know he was very recently, might still be leading the league in minutes played. I would love to see that come down. I think it's going to be tough when he's the only one on the team that can dribble. I think that's playing a part of it. I think it's also just a Nick Nurse problem where he plays his stars, his core pieces, more than maybe some people, myself included at times, would like to see. So I think this is going to be, for however long Nick is here, I think this is going to be a, a criticism we hear some of. Yeah, and, and dovetailing off of that, Kevin brought up in the comments, they're desperate for another reliable ball handler to bring Maxi's minutes down. Think of how many times already this season we've seen Maxi to open a fourth quarter essentially by Joel the rest of the, the night off, right? By taking a game that's still kind of hanging in the balance and putting it out of reach. Now apply that to, let's say Tyrese comes out five minutes left in the first quarter and they bring in, you know, 
sixth man, whoever it is. Jordan Ty- Clarkson. Yeah, Tyus Jones, yeah. Jordan Clarkson, whoever it could be. And then that guy goes on a roll and plays really well with Joel. Well, then you don't have to bring Tyrese in right to open second. the second yep. quarter. And you could say, hey, Jordan Clarkson or Tyus Jones or whoever it is, you can continue just cooking teams until your hot streak is over, until the success wears off. And then you bring Tyrese in with, let's say, nine minutes left in the second quarter, and you get fresher Tyrese, and you only play him 34 minutes on a given night. And that's absolutely one of the potential benefits of getting that guy who can steer the ship without Tyrese on the floor. It's not the main one. The main one would be you just want more good players on the roster. You want to help out those minutes that Joel has been leading that have not really been working this year, but it would absolutely be a huge benefit to get Tyrese in a position where somebody's making his life easier and making his life easier by not playing him quite as much. No, I agree. 100%. They are definitely two things that are tied pretty strongly together. Um, that's just a couple other quick notes here before we get out. And also, if you have any questions, feel free to drop in chat, whether you pay or not. Um, you know, they had some... Always t- helps to pay, though, always for helps. sure. They had some real turnover problems in the first half. I thought for the most of the second half, they cleaned some of those up. So that certainly helped. The Sixers ended up with, uh, like I said, having 45 free throw attempts and still being close in a possession battle. Certainly, um, you know, certainly was big. Uh, they played a... a offensively a pretty good game against a really good opponent. One, I, I have been very critical of Pat Bev this year. I think Pat had a better game tonight. I know he ended up a, a minus 10, but hit oh, a three where they sagged yep. off him. I thought in that stretch that hit we, a floater, a freaking baseline floater. Listen, man. And that shot to me is one of the most difficult shots in an NBA game. Like, floaters are an inherently difficult shot in general doing it from the baseline where there's no you can't use the backboard even if you wanted to and you, i don't know how a guys even hit that shot i might have hit that shot like twice in my life playing basketball and maybe that speaks to my <laughs> overall aptitude as a basketball player but i've i've always thought that that's a a really tough shot to make so i mean even aside from that though that open of the fourth quarter that i was talking about tyrese's decision making and moving the ball one of the people who really aided him during that stretch was Pat being next to him and being a competent decision maker in the secondary spot. And I do think that's a good example of Pat can be okay if he's not the lead guy, if he's not the guy bringing the ball up, getting you into your offense. He can attack a, a scrambling defense for sure. He's might not be able to attack it at a high level, but he's someone who can keep the ball moving, get to a spot near the elbow, kick it to the corner, reset. I think that's when Pat is in a much better situation. And so having him next to Maxi in some of those lineups, I think will we'll end up helping him out some for sure. Yeah. Yep. Right, Unfortunately, gonna... I still don't think, uh, you know, I know you talked about maybe a trade happening earlier for a ball handler than later. I still kind of feel like this is going to be something we talk about almost every show until the deadline. I, I tend to agree. Uh, and Kevin brought up, is there an ideal trade for a ball handler either of you would consider? I feel like I might literally say Tyus Jones's name on every single podcast episode. Oh, yeah. So I think Tyus Jones is kind of the guy. Now, the Wizards, a lot of this is just because the Wizards have been a disaster. 
they are bleeding points with him on the floor, which historically that's not been the case. Tyus has been maybe the most reliable backup ball handler in the league for three, four years now, has been very, very good. He's been someone that, frankly, he's already got built-in chemistry with DeAnthony Melton. They had some good lineups together when they played in Memphis. That was one of the reasons why you you got an example of DeAnthony doesn't work as a lead guy because when he wasn't with Ja and he wasn't with Tyus, that's when Memphis would go off of a cliff. So Tyus, to me, works on a lot of levels. The Wizards will most likely sell. He's on an expiring deal. He shouldn't cost too, too much, I don't think, and he fits the profile of what you want. He's a high assist, low turnover guy historically. Yep. We'll get you into your sets. We'll work well, well off of Joel. He can shoot the ball enough to make teams respect him. He is the perfect candidate to me, but he's also probably a perfect candidate for a lot of other teams that want to move him back from a, a starter's role in Washington on a shitty team to where he really should be as a bench captain on a good team. Yep. And a lot of people have been bringing up his teammate, DeLon Wright. Yeah, now has an injury. Uh, yeah. I think it's a knee sprain. So he's out for a little while. People are bringing up TJ McConnell a little bit, but he's now a bigger part of um, the Pacers' rotation than he was earlier in the season. So you, they'd be less motivated to move him. And again, you're kind of looking for players who wouldn't cost a lot, but whose team might be motivated to move early on. Well, those three are kind of off the board right now. So we will see. Yeah, I mean, Tyus Jones was in what, Minnesota prior to Memphis, I believe. Yeah. And even on Minnesota teams that weren't good, they were still generally winning his minutes. Now that's not all him, but it does speak to his ability to just put the pieces in the right places and make sure that you're doing what you should be doing as an offense with the ball in his hands. There are people in the comments saying correctly that DeLon Wright is a better defensive option yeah. if you're looking at stuff like that. Just profiles better. Tyus is certainly not a a world beater on that end, but I do think that I would probably go for the the offensive upside there and hope that, you know, Joel can anchor those backup units anyway, yeah. play them with guys like Cove and Batum and people like that and try to win that way. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Anything else before we uh, hit the old dusty trail tonight, Derek? We somehow still managed to do 45 minutes tonight, even yeah, though... Yeah, we're talking about this one might be a little bit shorter, but uh, I mean, look, they had a pretty good game. It was an entertaining game. And honestly, I could have spent 45 minutes talking about uh, the Thunder, if I'm being honest. Like, that's just a... Oh, I, they're one of my favorite teams in the league now, pretty easily. Yep. We got There's some Malcolm Brogdon shout-outs in the chat, by the way. I don't really trust his health is kind well, of the thing. And that, he'd be that's expensive. One, yeah, that's also one where I don't think, like, sure, maybe Portland would move him early, but I don't think Daryl's going to make a move that costs, like, real assets early on in the season when he doesn't know what the next move might be. So that's one where I think he would wait until the deadline. So even if maybe Brogdon was available, I don't think Maury would be motivated to move now at this time. We're talking about point guards that Maury might be able to get now without costing it enough assets yeah. that he would really think about. And Jay Bart also brought up Cole Anthony. I don't think the Magic are selling at this point. I don't know if you guys have watched Orlando at all. They are really freaking good. I watched them play the played the Celtics yesterday, I believe. And I came away. I mean, I was already impressed by what little I've seen from them so far. I'm really impressed by that group. And I think Cole is actually pretty low like pretty important to what they do because they do lack shot creation in mm -hmm. some ways. It's a big physical defensive team. 
and Cole is one of their actual shot creators, a guy who can go and do some of the things we're obviously talking about, you know, go get a bucket and run the second unit in some respects. But yeah, I don't think I would imagine they're not trading him for any kind of reasonable price, the type of price that the Sixers would pay for a backup ball handler. Yeah. So we'll see. I I tend to agree with Derek. This is going to be a thing where it's more likely this gets settled in January, February. They're exceeding our expectations. Your two primary focal points are adding elements to their offensive game that we both said uh, were necessary. We need some things to complain about. That's going to be Marcus Morris and that's going to be ball handling. It's just (laughs) need to maintain balance in our universe. And that is what is going to maintain balance. But look, guys, I think... Big picture or big takeaway here tonight, Sixers beat a really good up-and-coming team. And I think there was a bit of, over the last couple of weeks, it's been, well, they've lost to a bunch of good like playoff-type teams. They need to get another good win under their belts. This absolutely qualifies yeah. as a good win. And now I think things can settle back down a little bit and people, including you and me, Derek, because when we were grading things, we were saying, Oh, these last couple of weeks, though, even though they're ten and five, I think it's we're all back on the the positivity train. Yeah, and look, say. they've got some pretty winnable games coming up here too. Um, Lakers, sure, but Lakers, Pelicans, Celtics. All right, that's a little bit like there's some at least some challenges there. But then you've got the Wizards, two against the Pistons, the Hornets, the Bulls. Like there becomes a a real soft part of the schedule coming up that they can just and get Kelly through. might be back. So, Kelly might you know, be back. That's, so if that's they can just get through lift. the next couple of games, they have a chance to reel off some wins. They're already, I think now tied for second place in the East. So they are in a good spot. Great place to be 16 games into the year. So yep. I think Derek and I are going to get out of here as we're on our way out. Obviously if you want one of those beautiful hoodies or some of the other merch, got that cyber weekend sale going on at PHLY locker. So Treat yourselves or treat your friends and family. And to, to be clear, like when we we mentioned these PHLY locker, um, you know, hits, Kyle and I buy our shirts. We're not just telling you this because we're we giving do get you an free employee stuff. discount. Shut up, Kyle. We, we <laughs> do pay our own money, so we believe we correct. do believe in the products. I absolutely. They're comfortable. Yes. They're warm, but they're warm without being too thick, which is always you know you got to find the right yeah. balance for a hoodie. So I stand by them for sure, but. As we're on the way out, I just want to thank, as always, all the wonderful people that are with us. Our friend Jake, Brian, Money Mar, Jay Bart, Kevin, Thomas, Marty Bones, Robert, Corey, Two Minute Warning. I'm not going to scroll any further. Espy, uh, a lot, Bernard, obviously. A lot of you guys with us once again tonight are with us each and every day. For those of you who might be new listeners who are not among those names, if you could subscribe to the channel on your way out, hit that bell icon to get notifications every time we go live and the rest of our beautiful coworkers go live, that'd be great. And if you could hit that thumbs up button, that helps us out a big, big time on YouTube. And now Derek and I are going to go enjoy a nice cold glass of chocolate milk on a Saturday night. And make sure you subscribe so you can come in the comments section and participate in the chat. By the time we get to the uh, trade deadline. I want Kyle to have to block out five minutes of the end of the, each show so we can read names because it's so filled with people having a lively chat. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.